speaker was Wayne Grudem. Now, some of you are familiar with his systematic theology. <clears throat> so, he's a well-known evangelical scholar, and uh, he was the editor. There's a number of good men that have contributed to this book, like Piper and uh, uh, I think R.C. Sproul and some others have uh, chapters in this book, but the, the chapter that I'm going to zero in on tonight was called um, The Key Issues in the Manhood and Womanhood Controversy and the Way Forward. And, and Grudem actually wrote the, that particular chapter. So that's where I'm headed. And I would just say that uh, this is a lot bigger issue than it sounds like when you just present it uh, as an issue of manhood and womanhood because it covers so much ground in so many areas. And uh, like I said, we'll just scratch the surface tonight, but, but it is something that I think if we can get clear in our minds what the biblical position is, it'll help us a lot in a lot of areas. So that's one of the reasons I'm doing this. Um, I have been made aware that uh, just from readings, not just in this, but other things I've been reading, that throughout the history of the world, really, there has been a male dominance superiority type attitude that has marred most cultures. And, of course, we have then in, our, in mo the modern world a reaction against that in what's called the feminist movement. And some of the things that they were pointing out are valid, but they have reacted in an extreme manner and gone clear over to another side, which is also wrong and uh, basically saying there, there should be no distinction of roles according to gender. Uh, and they basically made it into a big power struggle for women to, to assert their uh, dominance, in, in at least in the militant feminist camp. And so what we want to do is have a balanced view and a biblical view. And if it's a biblical view, it'll be a balanced view because God is that way. Uh, we get in trouble whenever we go to one extreme or another, even, even if we can find a Bible verse for it. And you can do that. You can find a Bible verse for just about any extreme there is. But the, the balanced position is what the Bible as a whole says. And that's what we have to have. So... Um, that's what we want to aim at tonight, to come to some understanding of the biblical balance in this area of uh, manhood and womanhood. And I actually titled this, for Terry's benefit, <laughs> a lot of times she calls me, you know, the next day, what in the world was the title of that thing? <laughs> well, here it is. Men and women in Christ... Equal, different, one. <laughs> okay, let's. <laughs> I could come up with another one. Equal, comma, different, comma, one. O N E. Okay. 
All right. So um, let me, I, I think what I'll do here is just to kind of show where we're headed. Uh, like I said, I think this will be three or four messages. I, I, I'm aiming at three, but you know, never know what will happen. But he had six different um, what he called key issues related to the subject of manhood and womanhood. And so really we're just going to hit on the first one tonight and probably two or three the next couple times. But the first one, I'm going I'm to give them all to you tonight just to give you an idea of where we're headed. The first key issue, and he says you've got to start here or everything else will be mixed up. Men and women are equal in value and dignity. So that's number one. That's what we're going to hit on tonight. Men and women are equal in value and dignity. Number two, men and women have different roles in marriage as part of the created order. That's number two. Men and women have different roles in marriage as part of the created order. Number three, the equality and differences between men and women reflect the equality and differences in the tr Trinity. That's a big one. Because now you're getting back, you're establishing the, the relationship between men and women on the basis of the Trinity, of, of what God's character is, you see. And that's where everything always goes back to. If you're going to have something that's solid and firm and, and foundational in Christianity, you go back to the, the character of God. So that, that's really a big one, and we want to spend time on that in the future. The equality and differences between men and women reflect the equality and differences in the tr Trinity. Number four, the equality and differences between men and women are very good. They have to be, because it reflects the character of God, you see. And besides that, when he made man and woman, he said it's very good. So the equality and differences between men and women are very good. And then the last two there, this is a matter of obedience to the Bible. It's a, ma a matter of obedience. And then last, this controversy is much bigger than we realize because it touches on all areas of life. Now, those last two we probably won't sp spend a whole lot of time on, but uh, we, I think even there there's some things that are very interesting. So, anyway, that's, that's where we're headed. But tonight I just want to get this first one uh, established and clear that men and women are equal in value and dignity. Um, the way I want to do that is just read some of the things that Grudem wrote under this number one key issue. First of all, he says, very early in the Bible, we read that both men and women are in the image of God. In fact, the very first verse that tells us that God created human beings also tells us that both male and female, female are in the image of God. So let's turn to that. Let's go back to Genesis just so we read it right out of the Bible. It's always, I think, good to see it right in God's Word. Genesis chapter 1 and verse, we'll begin with verse 26. <clears throat> Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a trinity right there. You see, speaking uh, the relationship in the trinity. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, 
rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, here's what Grudem has to say about that. To be in the image of God is an incredible privilege. It means to be like God and to represent God. No other creature in all creation, not even the powerful angels, are said to be in the image of God. It is a privilege given only to us as men and women. We are more like God than any other creatures in the universe, for we alone are in the image of God. Any discussion of manhood and womanhood in the Bible must start here. Every time we look at each other or talk to each other as men and women, we should remember that the person we are talking to is a creature of God who is more like God than anything else in the universe. Now, I think that's an amazing statement. Anytime we talk to one another, we're, we're talking to a creature that is more like God than anything else in the universe. <clears throat> and men and women share this status equally. Therefore, we should treat men and women with equal dignity, and we should think of men and women as having equal value. We are both in the image of God, and we have been since the very first day that God created us. Nowhere does the Bible say that men are more in the image, uh, in God's image than women. Men and women share equally in the tremendous privilege of being in the image of God. Now, he's going to draw out some of the ramifications of this. And um, when I read this, I may slightly step on a toenail or two. But just don't turn me off. And we can talk about it. We'll also expand on these things more as as the, the study goes on. The Bible thus almost immediately corrects the errors of male dominance and male superiority that have come as a result of sin and that have been seen in nearly all cultures in the history of the world. Wherever men are thought to be better than women, wherever husbands act as selfish dictators, Wherever wives are forbidden to have their own jobs outside the home, we can talk about that one a little bit, or to vote, or to own property, or to be educated, wherever women are treated as inferior, wherever there is abuse or violence against women, or rape, or female infanticide, or polygamy, or harems, the biblical truth of equality in the image of God is being denied. To all societies and cultures where these things occur, we must proclaim that the very beginning of God's word bears a fundamental and irrefutable witness against these evils. Now, I'd never thought about even even the thing of polygamy, you see, is a, a denial of the fact that men and women are equal in value and dignity. Why should a man have 15 wives? 
Well, let me, I'll just say something on this. This job's outside the home. Now, I don't think, and I know Grudem uh, from reading on in here, he's not saying that, for instance, a woman who has small children, uh, it should be just a natural thing to just have a job outside the home. He recognizes that role of nurturing and caring for the child that has been given as a, a, a specific role for the woman. There's certain exceptions when that doesn't work or, or is not the, um, the way that a particular family or situation would warrant. But nevertheless, the overall general rule is that the, a, a woman with young children should be there with the children. So that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that if you make a standard that it's absolute, a woman cannot work outside the home, where'd you get that? There's situations where it's the right thing for the woman to have a job outside the home. In other words, there's nothing that says in the Bible that a woman has to be confined into these, you know, between these four walls that are said to be a home. And it's, it's uh, an absolute that she can't have a job outside of those, that premises. So that's what, I mean, I'm getting off track here, and we'll cover this um, better when we get to the, the second point of the different roles in marriage. But that's what he's, he's hitting on, that type of thing. I mean, for instance, where if you have a situation where it says a woman shouldn't vote, that was a very common thing not that long ago hundred years ago. And you know what? When women were um, trying to get the right to vote, there were a lot of professing Christians that said, no, that's unbiblical. Well, now we think, oh, well, of course they should vote. But that wasn't an of course for a lot of people a uh, hundred years ago. Or own property. Or to be educated. Some of these things, uh, you know, as you read down through them, uh, you can uh, you can kind of uh, get the uh, feel for what Islam is teaching now, because a lot of that stuff is exactly what uh, the Taliban and and uh, some of these uh, Islamic fundamentalists, so-called, are pushing. Well, anyway, I wanted to go kind of off on a little tangent here because I think it's important to get a feel for this. Uh, Some examples of male dominance. This is from a uh, uh, the front page of USA Today in 1994 and the article was entitled No Girls Allowed Abortion for Sex Selection Raises Moral questions. And the cover story had to do with the Asian's desire for boys leaves a deadly choice. It quotes a doctor here from Bombay. I won't try to pronounce the name, but this doctor said 99% of those found to be carrying female fetuses aborted their unborn children. This was in Bombay. The story explained that modern technology the strong cultural desire for boys and pressure to reduce population have, 
population have joined forces in a deadly combination in India, China, and much of Asia to produce a booming business in sex selection. The practice of aborting female fetuses appears to be common, judged by the emerging statistics that show a lopsided sex ratio uh, throughout Asia and North Africa. Nor is the practice of sex selection limited to abortion. Female infanticide, the abandonment of baby girls, and the preferential feeding and care, uh, health care of boys contribute greatly to the Im imbalanced ratio. Now listen to this. The story goes on to quote a Harvard professor, another name I can't pronounce, as saying that there are now more than 100 million women missing in the population of the world. 100 million men, women missing in the population of the world, including 44 million fewer women in China, 37 million fewer women in India than should be alive according to the normal sex ratios at birth. It's incredible. So this is not a past issue we're talking about. Well, I'll, I'll bring up a few more things related to that uh, as we go along. Let's get back here to the equality in, in terms of what the Bible says. Further evidence of our equality in the image of God is seen in the New Testament church where the Holy Spirit is given in new fullness both to men and women. He has verses for all these. The Holy Spirit given in fullness to both men and women, where both men and women are baptized into the membership of the body of Christ, and where both men and women receive spiritual gifts for use in the life of the church. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are not to divide into factions that think of them themselves as superior or inferior, such as Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, or female, but rather we should think of ourselves as united because we are all one in Christ Jesus. By way of application to marriage, whenever husbands and wives do not listen respectfully and thoughtfully to each other's viewpoints, do not value the wisdom that might be arrived at differently and expressed differently from the other person, or do not value the other person's different gifts and preferences as much as their own, this teaching in the on the equality in the image of God is being neglected. And then he kind of closes this section by saying anyone preaching on manhood and womanhood must start here, where the Bible starts, not with our differences, but with our equality in the image of God. So you've got to start here, or it's just not you're not going to present the true biblical balance in this if you don't start here. And I've heard a lot of preaching that doesn't start there. A lot. So that's uh, that's the emphasis he wanted to to start with in this thing of understanding manhood and womanhood. Now I just wanted to bring out a few more statistics and and thoughts related to what has gone on in the past and is still going on in terms of this area of male dominance, male superiority, and 
associated things with that. Uh, these these are not from this this Grudem book anymore. These are things from various other sources, things I've been reading. Uh, in fact, this this particular article is called "A Corrective to Distortions and Abuse of Male Headship." To say that there is a right understanding of male headship doesn't mean that everything's done under the banner of male headship is right. A lot has been wrong. even as they would take a biblical verse and try to distort it and use it in terms of uh, abuse and neglect and all kinds of things. Uh, a corruption of patriarchy very often is a major cause of many ills. Now, it's not saying patriarchy, a corruption of patriarchy. Given the nature of human depravity and its tendency to corrupt divine gifts, it should not surprise us to find that male headship is often twisted to generate horrible evil. And he quotes one Christian writer. He says, In opposing militant feminism, however, we must not make the mistake of enthroning patriarchal values that have often held women and children in bondage and oppression. And... Uh, Another quote here from this same article, A very real danger in the patriarchal family is tyranny in which the husband uses his power to hold his wife and children in servile dependence and submission. Widespread abuse of male power is anticipated and condemned in the scriptures. Genesis 3.16 sadly predicts that one effect of the fall would be the distortion of biblical sexual roles with the man seeking to rule harshly and despotically over the woman. He shall rule over you. And then it says that particular quote, he shall rule over you, is no divine proscription but a tragic prediction of sin's effect on the human race. Scripture declares that, our fallen, that in our fallen world, those with power, typically males, will use their power to exploit and abuse those with less power, typically females and children. And he has a number of quotes for that. Now let's turn to that verse he's referring to, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. You see, when God created man and woman, I didn't read this verse, but it, it applies to all of creation before the fall, then God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. But by the time you get over to chapter 3, when men and women had turned from God, there had been this catastrophic event called the fall, we see a different situation. And part one, just one part of that uh, has to do with male and female relationships. And this is in verse um, 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now that is a very hard verse to translate, to know exactly the best way of translating it. But there's a number of biblical scholars Wayne Grudem included, who says that the idea here is that 
where it says, your desire shall be for your husband, it's the idea of to take over more power and and take more of a position of dominance. In other words, to usurp authority. And then to counteract that, and it says he shall rule over you, and that's the desire of, of male dominance and superiority. Now, the reason that people take that position, let me just show you. It is a hard verse to know exactly how to translate. And uh, let me just read you one translation. This is the New English translation, which is a paraphrase. And you, ha you have to be careful with paraphrases. But I'll tell you why they paraphrase it this way. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain, you shall be, uh, give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Now, that's a paraphrase, but there's a number of good biblical scholars saying that, that they think that is the right understanding of the verse. And the reason they do that is right here in, in chapter 4, if you just skip over uh, on minus on the same page, uh, where it says, Yet your desire shall be for your husband. Okay, go over to where God's speaking to Cain. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Well, we better start with verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Now that is such a similar phrase. Six of the words there and the same order where it says uh, its desire is for you. See, it's, it's, a, it's a desire to, to dominate, to take control of. And so these scholars that say that this uh, verse actually has to do with wanting to control the husband or wanting con to control the man have some pretty good biblical warrant for it because right here in the very context of, of Genesis, the, the phrase is used that way. So anyway, what, what he's saying here, what, what we just read, is where it says, he shall rule over you is not a divine prescription but a tragic prediction of sin's effect on the human race. In other words, what they're saying is that this verse is actually showing that there is going to be this conflict between men and women that we have seen throughout the history of the world. It's predicted for us right here. It's part of this curse that came because of sin. And it's not something we should say, well, we should foster this, in other words. No, we're not supposed to foster this. We're supposed to fight against this. So, and look to God to, to change this. So, um, that is a, a common interpretation of those verses. Now, let's go on here with some, some more background. I'm just trying to, to sh give us a little feel for what has happened because of sin, because of the fall, and because of this attitude of male dominance and a, a taking a position of superiority. 
The evidence is overwhelming that males have repeatedly abused their power and authority over women. And, uh, for instance, the World Health Organization research indicates that at least one in five of the world's females have been physically or sexually abused by a man or men at some time in their life, one in five, and that violence against women is as serious a cause of death and incapacity among women of reproductive age as cancer, violence against women. Listen to this one. These are just quotes I picked out from different sources. For centuries, Anglo-American common law granted the husband the right as head of the household to beat his wife as long as he did not cause permanent damage. Currently, domestic violence uh, perpetuated by males accounts for more adult female emergency room visits than traffic accidents and muggings. And according to the U.S. Surgeon General, it is the greatest single cause of injury to American women. Sadly, since the fall, men have repeatedly used their power and authority abusively to dominate women. As we've noted above, physical and sexual abuse by men is shockingly prevalent in our culture. Abusive men often cite male headship, female submissiveness, to justify their abuse. Ultimately, this is based on a perverted assumption of male superiority. The Trinity teaches us, and we'll get into this next time, or or I think next time, teaches us that headship and submission are found within an intimate, founded within an intimate love relationship among equals, not coercive domination by a superior. Jesus gives us one of the clearest examples of male headship reflected in honoring women. He risked the wrath of the Jewish religious community by lovingly allowing a sinful woman to touch him, that was taboo at that time, respectfully dialoguing with a Samaritan woman in public, that was taboo, providentially choosing women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection, a woman woman couldn't even be a witness in the court at the time, Uh, included women among his traveling disciples and allowed women to sit at his feet and be taught they weren't even supposed to be educated. He, he commended uh, Martha. Jesus did these things in a Palestinian Jewish culture in which, which, generally speaking, women were not to go out into the public. Men were not allowed to speak to women. Women could not give testimony in court. Women could not inherit their husband's property. The birth of a daughter was considered a loss, and girls had no official education system in which to be educated, educational system in which to be educated. Now, those weren't, I mean, that was a lot of the Jewish culture that had built up. We're not saying that that was biblical, but that's just what the culture was at that time. Now, here's, here's a few thoughts just from 
of some other areas. Maybe the Greeks had it better. No, the Greeks didn't have it any better. Uh, Aristotle taught that women are by nature inferior to men owing to their defective mental capacities. So there's Aristotle. And uh, one great, well-known Greek biologist, uh, Galen, drew on Aristotle's low view of women and traced female inferiority back to conception. He said, the female is more imperfect than the male, just as man is the most perfect of all animals, so also within the human species, man is more perfect than women, woman. So that was a couple of Greek thinkers. Uh, but how about some of the early church fathers like Tertullian? Well, Tertullian was a, a pretty decent apologist in the early church, but he got off track on this one. Uh, he ministered in the late second and early third century and warned women, quote, and do you not know that you are Eve? God's sentence hangs over all your sex and his punishment weighs down upon you. You are the devil's gateway. You are she who first violated the forbidden tree. With what ease you shattered the image of God. So, uh, not too commendable of a recommendation. Medieval Christian jurist uh, Gratian, in the first enduring systematization of church law, makes very similar statements. Women, no, woman is not made in the image of God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's a quote. Woman is not made in the image of God. Woman's authority is nil. Let her in all things be subject to the rule of man, and neither can she teach, nor be a witness, nor give a guarantee, nor sit in judgment. So her uh, authority is nil, and she is not made in the image of God. Well, that's just a little sampling of some of what has been said and done and is still being done. Uh, in our fallen world where power is often abused, God calls his people to protect the vulnerable and create justice for the oppressed. Men are particularly called to protect and care for women and children. That's, a, that's been a biblical attitude uh, down through history. But uh, sadly, it's not often been acted upon. For this is how God himself exercises his power and authority. In other words, this God wants us to take care. If it, it, The Bible does teach that the woman is a weaker vessel. And, you know, I'm not saying some of you ladies couldn't handle me if you had to. <laughs> but, but overall, there aren't many women football teams. God just didn't make it that way, you see. And 
because of the way he made men and women, man is supposed to protect the woman. The, it's just the way God set it up. Well, one more quote here. Feminists rightly criticized the church for failing to protect women. In one research project on domestic violence, and I, I thought this was pretty sad, 27% of pastors surveyed said that if a woman submits to her husband as God decrees, then the abuse will stop or God will give the woman grace to endure the beatings. 27%, almost a third of the pastors said, you know, if you just do it, you just submit, God will work it out, the beatings will stop, or you'll be given the grace to endure it. In fact, the beatings often do not stop, and we should not presume on God's grace to endure avoidable suffering. These pastors have misunderstood the nature of domestic violence and have seriously distorted the nature of biblical submission. Churches should aggressively confront abusers and pursue all means possible to protect vulnerable women. True masculine headship is reflected in the sensitive care and protection of women. While feminists are correct in highlighting the widespread abuse of male power and authority, the solution is not to reject God-ordained gender roles, but to clarify them. So that's what we want to go on to the next time. I mean, all we've done, all I've tried to do this time is just present the one basic biblical truth that God has made both man and woman in his image equal in value, equal in dignity, and some of the ramifications that flow from that. Uh, let's see if there's anything here that... Uh, well... Well, maybe one other quote just to bring home the point of what goes on. Um, in one well-known study, found that 55% of the abused wives they interviewed said that their husbands had said the beatings would stop if they would be more submissive as wives. And goes on to just say that m many of the abusers use the, the, the biblical, they think, the biblical uh, pronouncement related to headship as a justification for their abuse. Well, I'll stop there. So this is... This is uh, where I'm headed here for the next couple times anyway. And uh, I, I don't think I'll open it for questions now because probably a number of the questions will be related to what we're going to hit on in the future. And uh, maybe the next time or the time after we can try to deal with uh, some of the thoughts or comments, questions that come up. Well, let's, well, I'm going to pray here just in closing for the message, and then I want to we want to take some time to pray for Charles and Mona and anything else that comes to mind for prayer, but just in related to what we looked at here. Father, I pray that you would help us to be biblical. 
Our desire is to find your balance, your wisdom in a world that goes to extremes and uh, often acts wrong or reacts wrong. Help us, Father. We want to be people who demonstrate the true image of God as it's reflected in men and women and their relationship. We ask that you guide and direct as we have these uh, times here in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.